0: People never are aware or instructed or taught that they didn't have, don't have to have high blood pressure. They don't have to have diabetes. They don't have to have heart attacks. They don't have to have chest pain. It's all amenable to diet and, and nutritional science. should be taught in grade schools because these lifestyle factors are the most powerful factors that affect our longevity and our overall mental and emotional and physical health.
1: The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues produced by soapbox media the world needs evidence-based public policy now more than ever making the right decisions should not be partisan politics please help spread the rational view by going to patron.podbean.com slash the rational view together we can make a better future Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. In this episode, I'm continuing my investigations into the evidence-linking nutrition and health. What does the science say? My previous guest, Dr. Walter Longo, discussed the data on intermittent fasting and cellular regeneration. I've also spoken with Dr. Tracy Mann regarding the observation that fad diets, they don't seem to work for the long term. Today, I'm going to be interviewing another dietary guru who believes that his diet can extend lifespan and reverse the course of diseases. I'm looking forward to learning more. I hope you are too. If you like what you're hearing, please press like on your podcast app. Help boost our ratings and get more visibility for The Rational View. And if you'd like to come chat with us, come join the Facebook group, The Rational View. Dr. Joel Furman is a board-certified family physician, 7-time New York Times best-selling author and internationally recognized expert on nutrition and natural healing. He specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional methods. Dr. Furman is the president of the Nutrition Research Foundation and on the faculty of Northern Arizona University Health Sciences Division. He coined the term nutritarian to describe a nutrient-dense eating style designed to prevent cancer, slow aging, and extend lifespan. For over 30 years, Dr. Furman has shown that it is possible to achieve sustainable weight loss and reverse heart disease, diabetes, and many other illnesses using smart nutrition. In his medical practice and through his books and television specials, he continues to bring this life-saving message to hundreds of thousands of people around the world. Dr. Furman also operates the Eat to Live Retreat in San Diego, At this residential facility, people from all over the world come to stay for one to three months to recover from conditions ranging from cardiovascular disease to autoimmune disease, food addiction, and more. They also gain the skills and knowledge to make these changes permanent when they leave the retreat. Dr. Furman, welcome to The Rational View. Hi, great to be here. Looking forward to our talk today. Thank you for coming on the show. So just to get... To know you a little bit better, can you tell us a bit about your background? How you got interested in the links between nutrition and health? Yes, so um, in my
0: youth, I was a competitive figure skater. I was um, second in the United States in pairs figure skating in 1973 with my sister Gail, and oh, we wow. later on was third in the world in um, professional pairs. Getting congratulations,
1: change. that's amazing. Yes, yeah,
0: so that was like many years ago. Um, and then and – then, um, so I was into nutrition then when I was a teenager just for better conditioning and stuff, you know, and um, better performance. Then my father was overweight, and he, like, was reading books on nutrition. So I started just reading a lot of stuff when I was young. And after I left my career at ice skating, I went into my family's shoe business. My father had 12 shoe stores. But I felt my passion was really – in what nutritional excellence could do as a therapeutic modality. So I, so at the age of 28 years old, I decided to care, you know, th- to give up the business, my family business, and go back to medical school, or, or to go back to the pre-medical um, postgraduate pre-medical program at Columbia. I already had graduated from college without the right requirements. We sold the shoe business, and my father could retire, and I went back to school to um, take the postgraduate pre-medical program to go to medical school with a specific intent to be a physician specializing in nutrition. It kind of made me, excited me to be able to have the the tools to be able to get people totally well. And I was already anti-medical doctor then, thinking that drugs um, mostly just are enablers, which make, you know, putting the dirt under the rug, so to speak. You lower your blood pressure with a drug, and you're still eating the diet that caused the high blood pressure. So inevitably, it's just getting worse and worse when you're not looking at a bad number. The same thing with diabetes, cholesterol. What doctors do is mostly make people think they're okay and so they don't have to change their life significantly enough to get results so they just deteriorate and die prematurely. So I came through, through my reading and, and understanding and research and, and um, experience. I decided that I would go to medical school and, and pursue a medical career with a different bent and I really been doing this for you know almost 40 years and have had a tremendously rewarding career and have a positive effect on so many millions of people so it's been very exciting exciting career for me.
1: That's impressive. So originally, you got into uh, this area thinking that drugs were mainly a band-aid on um, pre-existing conditions that were caused by bad habits. So That was kind of your 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 mindset getting into this. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So has your medical training changed that perspective in any way, or do you, do you still hold to that to that thinking? No,
0: I, I of course I hold to that with a hundred percent passion and certainty. In other words, um, much of what doctors do is worthless or harmful, and 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 everybody knows it pretty much. We know that the, for example, um, the death, the age of death of women who undergo mammograms is not different from those not undergoing mammograms. We have all these treatments. We have bypass surgery and angioplasty. People putting stents into your heart to make you feel better it doesn't make people live longer or have fewer future heart attacks every every doctor knows that you know it's all the public has no idea how relatively worthless medical interventions are and and then of course drugs like um, di- studies the the pre the accord study for example they split overweight diabetics into two groups and one got more medical care with more better measurements of their blood sugar more medical attention to keep their blood sugars better controlled with drugs. But after eight years, the, the National Institute of Health had to stop the study because more people were dying in the group getting more medical care. And those people who were not getting the care and letting their sugars run more erratically and, and not being well controlled were living much longer. There was much more morbidity and higher rate of mortality in the group getting more medical care. We know that drugs used for diabetes, lower blood sugar, make people gain weight and make them more diabetic. And push the failing beta cells in the pancreas to produce more insulin to lower the blood sugar at the expense of having them poop out faster and accelerates the progression of their diabetes. And the person thinks their sugar's okay, so they can just eat the same diet and they're getting heavier and getting more diabetic. So, what I'm saying is that we can say the same thing with blood pressure medications. Much of the atrial fibrillation is caused by medication, and much of the, you know, so everything doctors do has a risk benefit ratio. And the benefits are not overwhelming the risks. They're very closely related. And overall, the overall effect is minimal on enabling extending human lifespan. And then people are on, on multiple drugs simultaneously, which then cumulatively can increase risk of cancer because the, it adds to the toxic load that the body has to the burden the, body, the cells have to deal with and get more um, DNA damage from the build of, a meta, of waste products in the cells. So we're talking about um, the foundation of medical care is faulty. It's based on giving people, toxic substances to lessen symptoms of disease and to lessen the markers of
1: disease without dealing with the cause of disease. That's a very bleak outlook on, on the whole profession, though. I mean, certainly there there's a lot of good coming out of the medical profession as well. Um, I mean, cancer cure rates have been going up, have they not? No, that's not true. Um, Number one, we have the best
0: medical care as far as emergency um, services. That's true. And modern technology and medicine has been, have done phenomenal things to save lives when people are um, seriously injured. There's a lot of great things we're doing with stem cells, and we have, and I use some high technology things like soft wave technology for extracorporeal shockwave, wave with soft wave machine to help regenerate the joints in the shoulder or to help people get rid of stones in the kidney. That's not all. Of medical care, is is um is not helpful, but when we're talking about the leading causes of death and most common diseases in this country, then you have most people over the age of 60 are dying of cardiovascular disease. And those diseases are not um, impacted by medical care in a significant way. People have to eat healthy and cut out the salt and junk food in their diet. It, it, so to the extent that medical care doesn't address a cause and people think they're okay with the drugs, they think they're, they're, they're getting a false sense of security, and they keep living the same, they're overweight, living the same lifestyle. And as that caused the problem to begin with, and many people are aware of the growing waistline of Americans, and in the last three to five years, the actual people, the death rate, the age at which people die has gone down, not gone up. We've been having a shortened lifespan. Um, so I'm, I'm saying, no, I don't agree with you. It's, it's that there are instances where, where medical care is very um, effective and important but those are not the common bread and butter of what, doc, what most doctors do. What most doctors do is treat dietary induced illnesses with drugs, which then allows people's conditions to gradually advance and people never are aware or, or instructed or taught that they didn't have, don't have to have high blood pressure. They don't have to have diabetes. They don't have to have heart attacks. They don't have to have chest pain. It's all amenable to diet and it should be reading, writing, arithmetic. And nutritional science should be taught in grade schools because, the, because these lifestyle factors are the most powerful factors that affect our longevity and our overall mental and emotional and physical health. So we're totally confused about this. And we, and we hold medical care on a pedestal that thinking it can do more than it can do. It doesn't, you know, even this idea, you know, like I said earlier about, you know, mammograms saving lives and all these drugs, lives we're saving with blood pressure medication, all this stuff we're doing. You know, don't forget there are the primitive societies around the world that don't salt their foods. There's no raising blood pressure as people age in those societies. Even children have the same blood pressure as the most elderly members, and those societies have no history of heart disease or strokes. And we treat thousands of people, and the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, representing thousands of doctors who use nutrition as a primary, um, primary tool to help people get well, have you know numerous. You could say a thousand different studies showing how effective this is to demonstrate that people don't have to have heart attacks and strokes. And the blue zones around the world where they eat somewhat better than they do in America are living, you know, let's say six to eight years longer than the average Americans live. And I'm saying a nutritarian diet, which is not a blue zone diet. It's designed to take the best elements of science, of nutrition, modern nutritional science,
1: and yeah, design it before you go on, what, can you explain what a blue zone diet is? I don't, I'm don't, i not familiar oh, with that The term. blue
0: zones are areas of the world where people live longer, live the longest. And there are areas of the world like in Costa Rica or Sardinia or Loma Linda, California, or there are areas of the world where people generally are living longer. And what are these people doing in those areas, Okinawa, what are people doing in those areas? Look at what they eat, how they live, how much food they eat, how many calories they consume. we we see that they eat differently than Americans eat. And that can be a a starting point, but it's not an ending point. I mean, we know that the more variety of cruciferous vegetables and mushrooms and onions in a diet, the longer people lived, longer people can live. And I'm saying right now that the nutritarian diet, that I coined that term nutritarian to design a diet that includes the most powerful anti-cancer natural foods And to have the most longevity promoting foods and and make a dietary portfolio includes all those foods like mushrooms and scallion and onion and green cruciferous vegetables and berries and seeds and nuts and, you know, including all these foods. Um, it, it, It gives people the opportunity to live, you know, 15 to 25 years longer, but not just live longer, live with your full mental and physical capacity and not have the deteriorating quality of health that people in this country have. So I'm saying we have a healthcare crisis that's it's such tragic. People suffer so needlessly based on addiction to an unhealthy diet, and they're so brainwashed to think that the answer is more drugs and not to fix the way they live.
1: This, this is a common thread that I'm hearing from, from people in the nutrition sector is that whole foods uh, are are much healthier, and many of our ills can be laid at the foot of processed foods with added sodium, And, um, there's also discussion about preservatives and, and, and quote unquote toxins. Um, what you, 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 you discussed the nutritarian diet, which is nutrient dense. Can, can you explain what, what effectively you mean by nutrient dense? How do you, is there like a a way to, um, objectively describe that from a scientific standpoint or what, what does a nutrient dense mean? That's really a great question. Um, well, we're
0: talking here about having um, not only the amount of nutrients, but having the widest variety of nutrients, assortments of phytochemicals and antioxidants. And so I was the founder of the ANDI scores. That stands for, the word "Andy" stands for Aggregate Nutrient Density Index. And the word aggregate refers to 36 nutrients that the U.S. government keeps record of. And we added up all those 36 nutrients in, you know, 50 to 100 different foods, based on first an equal caloric portion, and then by a normal portion size normally used in the nutrient. So, we, so determining that um, using the ORAC scores and other um, scores of foods that that the government buys in supermarkets and measures the nutrient content. So, putting together and Whole Food Market, Whole Foods Market, put up in their produce section scores on produce with the Andy scores to show people the nutrient content of all 36 nutrients um, in each food so people could direct their choices. And when they did that, it dramatically increased the consumption of green vegetables when people saw saw how nutrient-rich they were. And I'm saying right now that green vegetables have the most consistent and powerful association with the reduction of cancers and heart disease, and we are a green vegetable dependent animal without adequate consumption of green vegetables. We can't even have a normal immune system. The inter lymphocytes that guards against infection is either supported or they even atrophy when you don't have green ve- substances from green vegetables coming into our digestive tract. And the bacteria that grow in our digestive tract is based on the type of food we eat. If you eat green vegetables and onions and mushrooms and beans, you grow a thick biofilm of gram positives over your of your villi that slow the absorption of glucose and can have effect to support immune system function in the gut. The gut, the intraepithelial lymphocytes that surround the digestive tract are the, you could say, defenders, the gates of the castle, the first line of defense of the body. And if you don't eat green vegetables, you can't have a
1: good line of defense, you know. And so, you know, you mentioned the, the fact that, you know, drugs don't work for, for treatments for mortality because people don't change their habits and are continuing to eat poorly um what's what's the science behind is like what's the scientific support of this is there you you mentioned thousands of papers is it i'm not an expert in this field but you know is, if i go searching for for um you know mortality and studies on various uh diseases to find out you know the, the effectiveness of interventions is, is that widely uh uh understood in the scientific community
0: i think in the life in the the american college of lifestyle medicine is a is a doctor community that specializes in lifestyle changes of people who get healthy so i think in that community it's so you can get board certified as a as could be an added certification specialty to a regular to any kind of medical degree you have so in that community people might be more aware of it but i've written 12 books on the subject seven of which have become New York Times bestsellers. So I've sold millions and millions of books. My most recent book to get the most recent, and my most recent book, Eat for Life, which is a New York Times bestseller, by the way, has more than 2,000 scientific references. So I had to review about 30,000 studies over the last 20 years. But the 2,000 references that are in Eat for Life, my most recent book, are more updated and more recent. And they're the ones that I think people should be aware of. And so every paragraph in the book is well referenced and well documented to have um, corroborative evidence. And something has more credence and more um, ability where you can say this is likely true. I think this is really true. When one study shows something and another study shows the same thing, and another study shows the same thing, and another study shows the same thing, and they're all dealing with different parts of the world with different researchers, with different fundings or not fundings, and they carry, follow people for years until the hard endpoints like death or what they die of, and they put the data together, and you say, yeah, in this study, it showed that people who ate nuts and seeds every day, at least an ounce, had a 40% lower risk of heart cardiovascular death than people not eating nuts and seeds. Let's see if that holds up in other studies. What other studies may show the opposite. No, it holds up in every study in the meta-analysis. Every study on nuts and seeds shows a dramatic reduction of cardiovascular deaths and a lower risk of all cause of mortality when people switch from eating animal fat and and oils and try to get more fat from nuts and seeds. It always, in every single study, shows an incredibly powerful increase in lifespan and reducing both cardiovascular deaths and cancer deaths. I'm just giving that as an example of why why you would give one particular position enough credence to believe it's true you know, worse is a I can show you a study that maybe went on for six months or a year, which can generate a hypothesis, but it can't lead to a genuine amount of certainty in the because it's too short and we looked at a soft like if I give you a um a certain something and your blood pressure goes down or your weight goes down. Well, you could smoke cigarettes to lose weight. That doesn't mean it's going to make you live longer. Giving you a statin drug that lowers your cholesterol doesn't – it shows a six-month study or a, or a couple of years. study shows your cholesterol went down, but we don't know for sure that lowering your cholesterol with a drug is going to translate into a longer lifespan. We'd have to follow people those drugs for like 20 years to see that maybe we didn't weren't offset by other people dying of cancer who were having lower cholesterols. So what I'm saying is that we give certain a, – a, 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 a mark, a grade of like A or B or C grade as to how much credence we think that study has. And we really need to have the short-term studies that give us some um, look at blood markers improving. We got to see some long-term studies corroborate that with hard endpoints, like you're living longer and not getting cancer. So that's what we're saying. When, and we have a lot of those studies today with a lot of corroborative evidence. And when people really can review the full you know, spectrum of, of data we have, you can't be denied that we, that, um, that lifestyle is where the money is, and it's what we put in our mouth that determines our lifespan and our diseases we get, not access to medical care or getting more drugs while we go going to fast food restaurants, for
1: example. So you're, you're the founder of the Nutritarian Diet. Can you give us an outline of what that diet is and, and how it works to, to improve health and to you know, extend lifespan? What, 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 what are the key aspects of, of the diet and, and how does it work? Sure. Well, the key aspects of the diet, you know, we, dry, we, di-
0: we divide food into three different categories. Processed foods, pasta, bread, salad oil, mayonnaise, donuts, cookies, crackers, rice cakes, breakfast bars, chips, soft drinks. Those are like empty calorie foods and, are, and just throw calories in the body with no significant nutrient load. And then animal products like meat, chicken, fish and eggs and dairy products contain protein and fats and some nutrients, but it doesn't contain any antioxidants or phytochemicals. Relative to colorful plants, it has a a low significant, a low micronutrient load. So I'm saying a piece of chicken and a bagel are similar in that they don't contain antioxidants and phytochemicals that humans need to to prevent cancer and sustain a long life. It's the third category of produce that is most linked to long life in, in the human species. And as a primate, we're a produce dependent animal And we're finding out through various studies that the more variety of different types of produce we consume, the more possibility for an extended extended lifespan. So just living on one food, like a macrobiotic diet where you're just going to eat rice all day, where you're just going to eat potatoes all day, you're just going to eat bananas all day, that's not going to give you the potential to live as long a life compared to a diet that had a lot of different types of food in it. And then we're looking at, well, if we're looking at different types of plants that contain a container that are rich in these nutrients that sustain, um, that protect, build the immune system, protect against cancer and cell damage, then what plants in particular have the most nutrients and the most data in the scientific evidence to slow aging and to give body these, all these nutrients humans need. And the new, those plants that have the most scientific evidence to prevent cancer and extend lifespan, I have an acronym called G-BOMBS. g B O M B S G bombs, which stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. So we're trying to get people not just to eat go onto a cutback on animal products and eat more bread and potato and rice. We're trying to get them cut back on animal products and eat more greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. And be- you know, Because there's, we can go into the science on any one of those foods. I could throw a dart at mushrooms or at flax seeds, and I can give you 10 studies that document how it extends lifespan. For example, a study on flax seeds with women with breast cancer, one that had lignins from the seeds. They had 76% lower rates of breast cancer death including lignans in their diet compared to those that didn't have lignans in their diet. But I'm just giving that one example. Every one of those foods shows, individually has been shown to dramatically have beneficial effects um, at preventing cancer and even fighting off and helping people live longer who have cancer. And and so we're putting together the dietary portfolio that includes the full assortment of these foods. That's where the nutritarian diet comes in to maximize the immune protection. So we're While the American diet gets most of their fat calories from oils or animal fats, the nutritarian diet gets most of their fat calories from whole nuts and seeds and avocado, from the whole foods, not from oils extracted from their foods. And we we teach and explain why is a difference, why it's a complete difference in biology and why that's so protective to our lifespan, whereas using the walnut, the whole walnut, not the walnut oil, the whole sesame seed, not the sesame seed oil from that, and so we're using, we're using whole foods to make ice creams, salad dressings, Thai curry sauce, icing for a cake. I'm blending up avocado and cocoa powder and dates, or I'm putting beans in the bean brownie with cocoa powder and and, and you know and pineapple, whatever it is. So we're making a dressing made of roasted garlic and tomato sauce and black fig vinegar and sunflower seeds and almonds. You're not, making me oh, hungry. Not from oil. <laughs> Right, we're mixing up, we're making recipes that use whole
1: foods instead of um, fractionated foods. If if you cut out meats, red meats, fat, like animal fat, you cut out processed foods, um, you're going to be probably significantly impacting the caloric content of a diet. Is the nutritarian diet calorie restricted compared to the standard North American diet? Definitely.
0: When, you know, I always say people live on half of what they eat and on the other half meets the needs of their doctors. In other words, we have the most overweight and sickly society in the history of the human race right now, where actually the average woman is um, 50 pounds heavier than she was in 1920. Even compared to 1970, the average woman is 30 pounds heavier than they were back then. The same woman eating the same amount of calories or the same amount of exercise was like 30 pounds lighter because of the retention of all these meta-waste products and toxins and, and poisons and chemicals and, the, and, and microplastics. Is that
1: supported? And- that's retention of, of toxins that's causing the difference? There, You believe that they're eating the same amount of calories now that they're eating in 1970?
0: No, no, no. We're definitely eating more calories now than we did in 1970. I'm saying something different. I'm saying in a specific study that took people eating the same amount of, take women from 1970 and gave them the same amount of calories. They took actually a study which calorically counted how much calories they were eating then in a group of women compared to a group of women today eating the same amount of calories. I mean, the same amount of calories then to the same amount of calories now, this group of women is much heavier today. I'm not saying women as a whole are eating more calories. Yes. Women and people are eating more calories today, but I'm saying that when your diet is nutritionally deficient, then you crave more calories. And, when you, and one of the, of the benefits of a nutritarian diet, when you eat all the fiber and phytochemicals and antioxidants, when your nutrient levels are so adequate, you don't eat, you don't have withdrawal symptoms You don't get addictive cravings, and you're satisfied with the right amount of calories. You're more instinctually connected to the calories you need, and you're not driven to try to overeat calories, either to stop fatigue and to stop detox from your bad diet, or to get nutrient-seeking behavior, or stimulating behavior to dopamine centers in the brain from overeating too many concentrated calories. In other words, I'm saying there's lots of mechanisms via which the modern diet leads to an unrelenting desire to overeat food, leading to the growing waistlines of humans to an unhealthy state. And and that's why diets don't work because people don't focus on, they can't just willy-nilly cut back on calories. They're too uncomfortable eating less calories. When they start focusing on nutrients, and you start, and as you said it before, a lot of these foods are naturally lower in nutrients. You can eat a lot of eggplant, a lot of broccoli, and a lot of mushrooms, a lot of onions, a lot of tomatoes, and not get much calories in. You know, the nuts and seeds are high in calories, so you can eat a lot more food and get, and you're much more satisfied. But there's lots of reasons why people on a nutritarian diet
1: lose weight easier without having to go on a feel like they're calorically restricted. I, I know, looking around online on, and and. Interviewing experts, you know, I, I interviewed Dr. Tracy Mann of the Health, Healthy Eat, Health and Eating Lab in Minnesota, and, and, you know, she says, you know, fad diets don't work, uh, they're temporary, people gain the weight back, um, so that, you know, that jives with your observations. The, the criticism that I see about many of these diets is, and, and, you know, I'm sure you can deal with it, it's that, you know, the nutrient or the calorie restrictions is what's making the gains, is there, can you differentiate the gains from calorie restrictions from the gains from nutrient uh, you know, antioxidants and all of these, uh, these magical things that you get from, from a good whole food diet? Or could it, could it be laid at the feet of cutting back on your calories and getting a healthy body weight? I mean, all these
0: things are very well studied today. So we have lots of tremendous data. And both those things are valuable. Eating less, I mean, I, I always tell people these five words, or these five words that are the most proven methodology to slow aging and extend human lifespan. And they could write down the five words. Here's the five words. Moderate caloric restriction in the, co- in the context of micronutrient excellence. Or moderate caloric restriction with micronutrient adequacy. We can't cut back on calories well, and not meet the needs of the human body for nutrients. We have to meet the need for the human body with nutrients. And at the same time, I'm saying the, when you meet that degree, uh, adequate a level of micronutrients, it becomes more comfortable eating less calories. You don't desire excess calories. But both those factors contribute to longevity. Eating, Having a normal body weight and having a, a maximizing lifespan is with a, um, a male BMI below 22 and a female BMI below 21. Is maximized most if you're looking at uh, centenarian studies, which we're seeing as you gain. As a male gets more than 15% of body fat, you see accordingly more shortened lifespan. As a female gets more than 25% body fat, you see shortened lifespan. So absolutely, both those things are true. That we need to cut, but cutting back on calories from without a healthy way of doing it, it's not sustainable, and it's not going to be good for your health. Um, for example, you can smoke cigarettes to eat less calories. But those people don't live longer who smoke cigarettes to get less calories. They're thin, too, but they're not living longer. You could snort cocaine to try to get less calories. You can take <laughs> amphetamines and take drugs to, cut it to do it. But you, but doing it, through, you know, people are always looking for some kind of um, shortcut or, you know, trick nature in some way. But you don't really trick nature. You need to eat healthy foods. Our body is dependent on substances in vegetables. We are a vegetable dependent animal. If you're not going to eat vegetables, you better live close to a hospital because I can show you all (laughs) the mechanisms with the cell, the cell machinery that repairs DNA, the antioxidant response element is fueled by the, you know, NRF2 transcription proteins that these are activated by phytochemicals in, in vegetables vegetables and you know these colorful these polyphenols and phenols we know how the body works you can't get by without nutrients in the body you can't just cut back on calories and not eat, and live on white bread and and live on junk food by induce calories and thinking an the hot dog diet just eat three hot dogs a day you will eat less calories you live longer people are it's stupid you're not going to have good health eating just hot dogs to lose weight even
1: if you kept your calories low you have to eat healthy foods you know so now, speaking of, of so-called shortcuts, I, I recently interviewed uh, Dr. Walter Longo, who uh, has another diet uh, which is associated with intermittent fasting. Uh, and it seems to be also well supported by the evidence to extend lifespan in in cells and mice and, and they're doing studies yes, sure. in, in, lar- in other animals. Uh, also seems to, you know, maybe allow people to eat more junk food in between. Uh, it looks a bit like a shortcut that doesn't require the sort of focused restriction that you're advocating for the nutritarian diet. Could you tell me about maybe contrast the 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 science or or you know is is this something that people should be trying? Which one is better? Is there, a, an, is there a, a, a contrast that we can make between these these approaches?
0: Well, I think that's a really excellent question. Um, I wrote a book back in 1996 called Fasting and Eating for Health. I wrote a book. On, I'm well versed in the scientific literature on fasting, and I do utilize fasting as a therapeutic tool with certain conditions like asthma or lupus To when I'm getting people off medications. Um, but in any case, um, you know Dr. Longo is a well experienced researcher, but he doesn 't have the clinical experience working with um, food addicts and obese people that are addicted to the American diet and fast foods that can 't lose weight and have a trouble cutting out the food and For those people, when you restrict their calories to five hundred calories a day, it 's too much likelihood they obsess about food and wind up binging and eating more calories on days when they 're not fasting and there 's too much of a chance of recidivism, and people who don 't learn how to eat and live healthfully for long enough and sustain it long enough, there's nothing wrong with intermittent fasting if in between the intermittent fasting cycles, you're going to be living healthy and eating healthy diet. But if you go back to eating cheeseburgers and bacon again, and go back to eating fast food and gain your weight back and try to think you're going to bin, you know go back on a fast again to, to binge your, you know, binging and starving and binging and starving. And don't, and I have treated so many thousands of people, um, 10,000 patient charts in my practice, where Um, the evidence is overwhelming that people start to obsess about food and it gets them, and they can't have the ability to disconnect from those that elicit love affair they have with their foods that are addicted to until they sustain sustain and stay away from those food for months and learn to have new foods that taste good, that are filling enough that they can live on a long period of time. So I'm saying I focus on teaching a person how they can make this diet taste great, and how they can live with this and see long-term benefits of losing two pounds a week. And then they can stay on this long-term. And I I would not recommend um, intermittent fasting as a primary mode of weight loss because there's too high a chance of people um, yo-yoing their weight and not sustaining the
1: benefits. Yes, that's something that Tracy Mann also pointed out was the, the, the focus, the, the obsessiveness on food. You, once you, if you're starving yourself, you, you, your body has protection mechanisms adapts and adapts and forces you to, to go back to the food.
0: Yeah, and the people aren't learning the patterns of behavior to learn how to eat a healthier diet permanently. Um, they're just eating healthy when they're doing the intermittent fast. Now, if you did intermittent fasting on top of a healthy diet, then it has beneficial effects. It's just you don't do it on top of an unhealthy diet. Let me give you an example on how you can use that to live extend your lifespan. Most healing and anti-aging phenomena occurs when, we, when we're sleeping. And particularly when we're in the catabolic phase and you're not digesting food while you're sleeping, your body can repair and heal more. So by eating a lighter dinner or an earlier dinner, like finishing eating by six o'clock at night, so by the time you go to sleep at 10 o'clock at night, digestion is over. So then now the eight hours you spend sleeping in the bed, you're not digesting food. Your body can totally rest and, and detoxify and heal more. That's an example of, Time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting, which over time definitely has the potential to extend human lifespan. So, and I'm, so some of Dr. Longo's work and some of the and some of the benefits of intermittent fasting can be generated and sequestered by eating healthily and not overeating and eating before and eating earlier in the day. And then, if you want to intermittent fast and skip a couple and cut back your calories on a on a few days, if you're a little still, that's fine. But not if you're overweight and you're a food addict because that's just going to trigger overeating behavior and more yo-yoing. Now, I could do it, but somebody else who's not living consistently on a healthy diet shouldn't be doing it. They should first get the basics down and get the healthy diet consistently, get, the, get lose two pounds a week, get the weight off, and sustain that yourself at a healthy weight to show you can maintain that first before you, you fool around with something too radical, too ex, um, extreme.
1: So, I mean, I've heard criticisms uh on diets and the nutri- nutritarian diet is is not uh one that that avoids this criticism is that any of these calorie restrictive diets are too hard and, and people can't stay on them what can you comment on the success rates or or you know how what fraction of people that that start this uh, are able to continue is, is it like quitting smoking i mean food addiction smoking addiction these things are hard addictions to kick Absolutely. What, what's 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 the success rate? What can we expect if, if, if we decide to try something like this?
0: You know, I think it might help motivate people if they if they looked at my website and saw like 500 people who've lost tremendous amounts of weight and they describe what happened to them eating this way. And certainly, I'm not saying because it happened to somebody else it's going to happen to you the same way. Everybody's different. And I'm also not saying that most people following this diet stay with it forever and lose the weight and keep it off permanently. There are lots of people who try to quit smoking and don't quit smoking either. But... I'm not, I'm, des- I'm not designing this um, for the masses or because it's going to be the most popular diet or most accepted by, the, the you know, m- most people. I'm designing a diet that's going to be the most lifespan-promoting and longevity-promoting for us health nuts. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. I don't care, you know. We'll I'm <laughs> tell, telling you about it, but if you want to do it, do it. And if you don't, don't, you know. But, But, however... It happens to become the most successful for people wanting to lose weight and permanently keep it off because once they learn all this information, the science of longevity science and nutritional science in their head, they can't remove it. And when they follow the program for longevity to not have heart attacks and cancers and dementia, it automatically makes them lose weight without being on a diet because we're not eating to lose weight per se. We're just eating to the healthiest diet in the world. And then the recipes make it taste great. So it is sustainable. And as far as, um, the percent of people doing it, it depends on who you're training. If you have, in other words, if I have people that are selected out paying me a lot of money to come to into my retreat for a month and they're staying here for three months to learn this, then my chance of sustained benefits are really high. If I have a person who heard one lecture or, you know, and then there are the people who are forced to be here because their boss wants them to take this course so they can lose health care costs. They're coming to this, they're forced to be here. They're not choosing to be They didn't put their own money out. The chance of them doing this long-term might only be 20%, not 80%. It might it range from 80% of people doing it. If it had the right exposure with enough um, ab- um, enforced abstinence and enough training, whereas minimal training for people who aren't sure they want to do this to begin with, maybe I can only convince 20% of those people to do it long-term. So it's, so I don't have, so it's a tough, another tough question. Um, but I think people should have the opportunity to learn the information and make that decision for themselves. You know, um, I'm not forcing anybody to live this healthfully, but at least <laughs> have some good information. So if you want to, you could. You know.
1: Okay, that's fair. Um, I just want to switch switch gears a little bit, and um, referencing a, a previous interview I did uh, with Dr. Peter Butt, who is chair of the Canadian Committee. Committee behind the new Canadian Alcohol, uh, Healthy Alcohol Guidelines. And I think you posted in your blog recently on, on low levels of alcohol consumption and the, the so-called J-curve of mortality. And for, for those of you who don't know what that is, um, many of the studies on mortality versus alcohol consumption show that at low levels of alcohol consumption, um, there seems to be a protective Function and associated with lower heart disease for moderate alcohol consumption, and then the uh, mortality then curves up with more alcohol consumption. Um, And you posted on your blog about this. What's what's your perspective on this on this issue?
0: I think that information um, is hurtful because people will grab onto any kind of nuggets of false or or myth or. You know, erroneous information to justify their drinking behavior. So, oh, if I so let me let me explain. Okay, number one, we know that alcohol is carcinogenic. It forms toxic aldehydes and it leads to higher rates of cancer. And even a small amount increases cancer risk. But of course, the more you drink, the higher rate of cancer. The less you drink, the lower your risk. In lower amounts, the risk is minimal. It's uh, women, for example, drinking one drink a day have about twelve percent increased risk of breast cancer. Um, But, you know, so, you know, drinking a couple of drinks a week may have no impact. I don't know. Maybe it's too small of an amount to have an impact. However, still people should recognize that people even with lower amounts could be, you know, some people could be enticed to have higher amounts because they're starting on lower amounts. One thing we should tell, we know for sure is that alcohol in any amount is carcinogenic and it's better for people not to start to begin with and abstain if they can. Now, as far as the blood thinning effects of alcohol, like taking an aspirin, if it could thin the blood a little bit and reduce clots from heart disease or something. Um, the major factors leading to the J-curve is that people who get sickly and who are alcoholics, who, people who don't drink at all, are a lot of people who can't tolerate alcohol or don't have done well with alcohol. It, it identifies people who are not necessarily healthy because the healthier people might be drinking a little bit. So total abstainers, just because total abstainers from alcohol may not have as good an outcome as them that just drink a little bit, it, that's that's not, that's a, um, what's the word? It might be an artifact. It might not be real. And you know what I mean? This might be an artifact of the test. I've so- heard
1: that. The sick quitters hypothesis is is what
0: that- yeah exactly and but but even if it did it wouldn't matter because we're not looking so because the benefits there are to thin the blood like a like a drug that means if you're eating unhealthy and you have a high risk of clotability in your blood you take a little alcohol it has an effect like aspirin to thin the blood a little bit may benefit people but you know. I'm not looking for a drug like alcohol to thin the blood. I'm looking to have, not have any risk of heart disease. I don't have the, the hypercoagulability of the platelets to collide and form a heart attack to begin with. So you, don't have to, so you don't have to be at risk of heart disease. You don't need alcohol to, re- to thin the blood to reduce that risk. You're still better off not drinking and not inducing the carcinogenic effect of alcohol. So I, I just think it's better for society if people weren't tricked into thinking a little bit of alcohol is okay, it's good for them. It's maybe the case that a little bit of alcohol is not so bad, and they want to still drink, but they shouldn't be thinking it's good for them. It's not good for them. It's probably going to lead, can lead to more deaths. since better
1: people if they can abstain, stay stay away from alcohol um, if possible. Okay, thank you for that perspective. You mentioned um, heart disease and and blood clotting, and and of course you know the hardening of the arteries or the the cholesterol levels or what leads to this, um, and from. From some of the stuff that I've read, it's, you know, most of the cholesterol imbalance is due to genetics and not to diet. It, do you believe that the diet has a bigger function on, on cholesterol balance than, than genetics? <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm saying something quite radical here. I'm saying genetics has almost no role in heart disease deaths. It, it, let me, me clarify of that. Genetics has a strong role when, when the whole population is eating unhealthfully. Then you have various genetics play a role. But in populations that eat so healthily, then the whole population doesn't get heart disease. You have to incur an unhealthy diet to allow the, the bad genes to be expressed. And even that, don't forget, 90% of people in America eventually get put on blood pressure medications. 90%. You know, we're talking about people that almost all Americans develop heart disease no matter what their genetics. And the studies on, on heart disease reversal, like Dr. Resselsen's studies, Dr. Ornish's studies, my studies, all these people where we show heart disease is reversible, we show regardless of people's genetics, when they eat a diet this healthfully, then genetics doesn't matter either. So what I'm saying, when you eat a diet in the middle that's somewhat health unhealthy, then genetics play more of a role. When you eat a diet so unhealthy, everybody develops heart disease anyway, and you eat a diet so healthy, your genetics doesn't matter, you know, lifestyle and nutrition overwhelms genetics is the point. So genetics is overrated because people like to think, oh, it's not my fault. Nothing I could do. I'll just keep eating my, you know, it's genetics. I just got to go to doctors and take drugs. The doctor told me it's genetic. You know, it's more selling people out with, with lack. They don't have to have personal responsibility. They don't take any role in their illnesses. They just go to doctors and take drugs and blame it on their genetics. And I'm saying, well, if that was the case, then we wouldn't have all these thousands of people who got their blood pressure back to normal, whose cholesterol came back to normal through what they ate, and whose heart disease and chest pain went away. We have all these people who do this program. Everybody gets better. If it was genetics, we'd only see some people getting better. Almost everybody gets better
1: if they eat right. Do you have scientific data to back that up? Are you you publishing your results?
0: Yes, I published that in a 2020 study in the International Journal of Disease Prevention and Reversal with more than 450 people whose blood pressure went down by 26 points who followed this diet for six months. So I published about 15 studies on this. But you don't have to use my studies alone. Don't justify all the data because there are lots of other people doing similar studies that corroborates my findings as well. And that's why I write, you know, so it's not only my studies, it's other people's studies too that do similar interventions and and the the, um, epidemiologic studies support all the data that supports it. So you don't just... It based on one study, but yes, I have numerous studies that show cholesterol, show heart disease reversal, blood pressure lowering, cholesterol coming down. Uh, Like, for example, David Jenkins did a study from University of Toronto that used my nutritarian diet. Now, I wasn't part of the study, I had nothing to do with it. He just used the same diet I recommend on a bunch of people who had high cholesterol. And the and the and he showed that the cholesterol LDL cholesterol dropped more than statin drugs drop cholesterol. He showed 33 percent lowering of LDL from David Jenkins from University of Toronto. Um, so I'm just giving another researcher who, did, who used my who used similar nutritional
1: um, sure sure portfolio to get similar results. You know what I mean? You, you've also mentioned um, that your diet can impact autoimmune diseases. How does that work? I've published on that as well.
0: But yes, um, I'm saying that. Nutritional excellence to slow aging and promote longevity also can be therapeutically effective to reverse disease like autoimmune conditions. So I have people whose psoriasis go away, whose asthma gets better, whose lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, colitis, Sjogren syndrome, all these diseases get better over time. And when you think about it, um, people know, for example, um, Venus Williams, for example, is an example of a person who's a, people know who she is. She's a tennis player who left the tennis tour with an autoimmune disease, given drugs and, to, and she couldn't get better and she had to quit playing tennis. And then she changed her diet and she started eating super healthfully. And her autoimmune disease, I think she had Sjobren's syndrome and um, connective tissue disorder or um, went away and she went back to playing professional tennis again. So a good example, you know what I mean? So just, it's just one example, but I've I've published studies and cases, but of course my career has been all these people telling them that don't telling them not to listen to their doctor, don't take these drugs for the rest of their life and don't assume that this is genetic and you're going to be sick forever because you can get well. And a lot of these people would eat sawdust if they want to get well, there's, they don't want to take these drugs. They make the drugs, make them feel sick. The drugs increase the risk of cancer. And there's so many people whose who's, who doctors won't tell them about this and give them the opportunity to get well. Remember I had one person um, who gets well from lupus, right? Um, and she goes back to her doctor and the doctor says to her, what are you going to eat? Carrot sticks and celery the rest of your life? This isn't, get out of it. You didn't get well from lupus. It's just a spontaneous remission. The diet had nothing to do with it. It's just luck, whatever it was. Whatever he said to her, she, she comes back to me and she's like crying in the office of how mean this guy was to her. And I said, um, why are you crying? You got better. You know, what do you care what he thinks? You know, cause he's not for what, cause he wants to give you the drugs and doesn't like that you went on a, on a natural route. There's all kinds of people that have all kinds of crazy beliefs. You're the you got better. Go live your life and be happy.
1: You know I and, and, um, So, so you're making claims that this diet is, is you know it cures disease. It does all these wonderful things, and you're kind of throwing doctors under the bus here. Um, I think there's a lot of very good doctors out there, and met, most of them are following evidence based uh, practice, best practice, trying to follow be- evidence based best practice. Why aren't doctors prescribing this diet?
0: Well. Um, like I did say earlier, there are, like when I was um, 30 years ago at the American College of of Lifestyle Medicine founding meetings and things, we had 20, 30 doctors there. Now there are, you know, thousands of doctors there, 10,000 people who are members of the, you know, so certainly there's a a definite growing interest among physicians, and there are many, many more doctors who who advocate this, and I I could say with pride that um, when doctors are surveyed, as to what books they recommend to their patients to read the most, um, my books come out on top. And the American Health, so that's a really incredible, um, something to be really proud of, that doctors that buy, that buy my book by the case and use it in their offices with the patients. So certainly there's a growing awareness and there's lots of doctors who do utilize nutrition and have dieticians and have, and do counseling and do, and who aren't um, just giving people drugs and telling them it's genetic, but it's not the majority of doctors. It's a minority of doctors, you know, and I'm not an evidence-based. I'm saying that um, because they're not trained in this and they haven't reviewed the evidence, they don't have the expertise and they didn't get it in their medical training. So they had to have gotten it outside of their medical training to see that, yes, that there are, you know, there's so much that nutrition could do to give them tools to enable people to get well. And if people don't want to make dietary changes and, you know, and when you say, when I speak to more conventional doctors... Um, you know what their response is? And even when I was in medical school, the most the most frequent response is that people don't want to do it. They're not going to make an adequate change in their diet. And they just want a drug anyway. And I can't waste my time lecturing to them for an hour. And they're not going to even listen to me anyway. Um, so what that really means is the doctor is not schooled and their practice is not set up in a way to, in, to impart the information to people. It's not their necessarily position to be the uh, nutritional educators. They're there... As um, farm, you know, to, to write prescriptions and to treat it. It's, it's so- hard
1: to switch off the, the North American diet when it's so prevalent in North America, exactly. and and so you know, the doctors are right. You tell someone, you tell someone this, they're not going to make the change. Exactly.
0: You know, and doctors are addicted to the way they eat, just like other people. And most people aren't going to make the change, and that's a legitimate criticism. I mean, if you, can, you know, I'm not saying it, but you're asking me, um, you know, I'm thinking that. The doctor has to make it should be making an effort if because then you sell a person out because you didn't give them the opportunity, because maybe if it maybe if only 10 percent of those people would have made that change, at least they should have had the right. It's called informed consent to let them know they don't need to have bypass surgery. They could have changed their diet. They don't need to be on drugs that cause cancer for the rest of their life. They don't need to have chronic, they could get well with an adequate lifestyle change. And maybe they should try this first and read these books or follow this. And then if it doesn't work, come back and we'll switch and you can't do it. We'll come back and use a more, um, more medical medicated approach with a more aggressive approach with medicine. But that's not the way most doctors are practicing. So I am critical of most doctors. And I think, and I have a lot of um, and, and there's a large segment of the medical community that, of course, are behind what I'm doing and think similarly to me. You'd be surprised how a lot of doctors I know that prescribe more conventionally who eat this diet I recommend and live their own life and their own family so healthily because they don't agree with even what they're doing to make a living. You know what I mean? To give people drugs for illnesses. So you'd be amazed at how the how many doctors really would agree with this.
1: Mm-hmm. No, uh, that, that's that's. Very insightful, and I know I've encountered doctors that have, you know, said change your diet. You need to cut back. It's it's it is. I think it is common uh, that people, that doctors do recognize the benefits of of healthy eating for 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 various aspects, for cholesterol, for for weight gain, for sure. So, I think we're re- reaching the end of our time slot here. I really appreciate you coming on and. and talking to us about this. Uh, I've learned a lot and, uh, I hope, uh, I hope, I uh, wish you luck in, in your efforts to, to convince more doctors to, uh, get people to, to diet <laughs> or to eat, to eat a proper diet.
0: It's hard, it's hard for people to make that change. That's why I built this retreat in San Diego here where people who want to make a change and get well can come and live here for a few months to get rid of their addiction and they can really get rid of their, their difficulty they have making such a big change. Because I realize it's, a, it's hard for people to make a radical shift in what they're eating. So I have, you know, my career is make, trying to make people compliant, make, them, make it comfortable, make it taste good and show that it's possible to do this to get well. So it's kind of like a
1: specialty, you know? Well, thanks for coming on, Dr. Furman, uh, for, for spending the time. I'll, I'll send you a Rational View t-shirt. Uh, you, can, uh, you can have that for, for spending the time and, and chatting with us. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, Please consider visiting my patron page at patronpodbeancom the rational view. Thanks for listening.